That special provides a nearly perfect segue from what we have been studying as our January seminar on philosophy from the book of Ecclesiastes to what Kevin and I have selected for our study now as we move into the pre-Easter Lenten season toward April 20th and Resurrection Sunday. We plan to be looking at the portrait of Christ, the beauty of Christ, as he discloses himself in the series of statements found in the Gospel of John known as the I Am Statements. I am this morning the light of the world, the bread of life. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and so forth. As we do so, we, we seek to indeed find a new and a fresh a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, a deepening and an enriching of our perspective of him. And with that as our goal, we look at what he said about himself. Much of what Jesus did was cloaked in shadows a bit. He didn't fully display his majesty and his power until the cross and the resurrection. At times, he passed through the crowds unnoticed and wanted to be less than taken as king. But there are these statements in which he openly proclaims certain aspects of who he is for our benefit. Now, I must admit some disappointment in the things that he's chosen because only one of them is relational. The others are more objective and, and non-personal. The only one of the I am's that's really personal is I am the good shepherd. This morning, the, the light, the vine, the bread, etc., are more impersonal, parts of his creation, which he identifies with us, and which he lifts us for, up for us to grasp. Nevertheless, of course, he does all things perfectly. And my perception and wishes aside, we rejoice in the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the portrait that he gives of himself. So much of what we have in the New Testament is what others wrote about him, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the great times, like the Mount of Transfiguration, where in a series of steps and statements, he says, this is who I am. So we pay attention, we note it, and with reverence and care, we turn to his word. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, shine brightly before us this day and through these coming dark days of late winter. Give us a brighter and fresher vision of yourself. Deepen our commitment to you and to our rejoicing in your glory. Help us to see you clearly and to appreciate you yet more. We pray that you'll open our eyes to the glories of the Son of God. O Spirit, come and fill our hearts and teach us. And O Father, thank you for parting for just a little while with your most precious Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're not going to take these in order necessarily. In other words, first to last as they appear in the Gospel of John. For example, next week we're going to look at I am the vine, which is in chapter 15, but 
Uh, he, of course, that because that's a communion Sunday, we're going to look there next week. This week, I am the light of the world. And this is from John chapter 8. You see the words there uh, in the bulletin, pages 10 and 11. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the one who sent me, the Father. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because its time had not yet come. This is God's word. So apart from this debate which he has from those who challenge him, as later in chapter 8, Jesus discloses himself to be the light of the world. And this, of course, takes us all the way back to creation and showing there that without the intervention of God and without the creation of God, there would be no light. And without any light, as we see here in, the, in this metaphor, sunlight is the basis of all of life. For plants that become our food cannot survive, apart from the process we call photosynthesis, the light into the world. Without light, we have nothing. Now you might think, without my job I have nothing, or without my health I have nothing. But ultimately, and cosmically, all around the world, there can be no life without light. We take it for granted. And I suppose part of the teaching here is that light is something we count on, either artificially given through our, our electricity or naturally given through the sun. It is the basis of everything. We couldn't see the page. We couldn't see to walk. Then, of course, our, our plants could not survive. More than that, as we look at this metaphor, we know that light is the source of truth. Knowledge comes from being able to see what is really there. And one of the great contrasts to light is darkness. And without light, not only can't we eat and the plants can't survive, but we can't see where to go. We have no way through the darkness unless someone shows it to us. And so as he's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, in this metaphor he's implying it as well. Light is the source of truth. Light is also a basic source of joy. It comforts and encourages us when we don't have so much of it in the wintertime. Sometimes depression and discouragement take over. Light is 
a bright and happy aspect of life. Those who have trouble seeing, those who are blind, not only miss the particular objects, but they miss the joy of the sunset and the brightness of life. Also, however, unmediated light is blinding. One cannot look directly at the sun, and the Lord gives us, through his Son, a mediation, as we shall see. So we could go on and on, really, about the metaphor of light. All of them are positive. Light doesn't do anything negatively unless we look at it at the sun unmediatedly, or if we don't cover ourselves at times from its ultraviolet rays. Jesus is, I, he says, I am the light of the world. So he, is, he has a worldwide focus. He is calling all nations to himself, calling all peoples to see that not the sun, not the moon, not the incandescent light, but he himself is the source of all brightness and beauty. So we get it. Light is impersonal. It's something we can't really touch. It's something we can't embrace. But it does comfort us. It does guide us. It does help us. And as he argues now with the Pharisees, he says, the witness of my light is verified by someone else. Even if I testify on my own behalf, verse 14, my testimony is valid, but I know where I come from and where I'm going. What he's saying is, I don't need a second for my motion. I am self-existent. I am <clears throat> I'm disclosing myself to you, whether you like it or not, and whether you accept it or not, I am he who is the light of the world. And they say, well, who says so? You say so? Maybe not. He says, I don't need another testimony. I don't need a second to my motion. But just so that you may be assured, I am not alone, verse 16. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. Any other witness is the one... My other witness is the one who sent me the Father. So if you want to know on what basis I speak, I speak with ultimate authority. I am the one who created the light, and I am myself the light of the world. And the one who would validate this, if you want to hear from someone else, you simply need to look to my Father, to your Father, to the one who sent me to be that light. Now, the context of this whole statement seems to be a gathering uh, that began in its description in chapter 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles. The people of God were gathered in Jerusalem, as they did once a year, to remember what God had done. And they lived in booths out, outside of Jerusalem or crude shelters to remind themselves that they had been, for some time, wanderers in the wilderness with no home led by the pillar of cloud by night. I mean, excuse me, by day, and the pillar of fire by night. The light guided them 
when they were moving through the wilderness. Time and time again, when they sought, when they sought which way to go, when they didn't want to lose their way, they looked to the light to guide them. And in the temple, reminiscent of that guidance, there stood the grand candelabra. And many commentators believe that Jesus found this time of year and this occasion to march into the temple to say, See this light? This light that is reminiscent of the light that guided you in the wilderness? I am that light. I am ultimate life, as I say in the outline. Only I can bring you life. When I come to you, you begin to have new life. And without me, you have physical life, but not eternal life. There's only one light. I mean, you either take it or leave it. There's not many lights. There is one light. And it comes from, in our case, the sun. It is something which God distributes to us unilaterally. If you don't like that light, you don't have any options. So he's saying to us, world, universe, listen to me. I'm it. Many times Jesus spoke in a self-deprecating manner. He took the lower place, and he served, and he gave, and he worked, and he offered himself in such a way that unless you were looking carefully, you didn't see his divinity. Unless you were listening carefully, you didn't hear the word of God. But in this instance, he's declaring openly, I am ultimate life. The vine gets its life from the light. The bread is the result of the work of the light. The good shepherd can't see his sheep unless the light shines for him in such a way, even in the darkness and the stars at night, so he can see. All of the descriptions of Christ that he gives of himself are also dependent upon this one, I am the light of the world. Not only that, I am the source of ultimate truth. I am the only way for you to know who God really is. There are moons, reflections of my light, but I am the sun. Others reflect my glory. I am glory itself. So many places we could turn to see this, but... Just the one, famous one, in Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So if you want to know the truth, which we struggled to find there in Ecclesiastes, if you want to know the life, then there's only one source, and it is he, as he openly declares in this passage. I am the ultimate truth. I am the only way for you to know who God really is. And so his statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life follows and flows from this concrete initial one. I am the light of the world. I am the way to go. I am the truth who will guide you. Furthermore, as I say, top of page 11, I am the ultimate beauty. I'm the one who gives life meaning, joy, happiness. Depressing to be in a dark place, 
a cave, a darkened room, a prison cell, a light. One of the things which the architects wanted in this building was natural light to come in as an ongoing testimony of he who is the light of the world. And we find it refreshing, helpful, bringing us joy and happiness to have such light come in upon our lives. We rejoice. Moses wanted to see God face to face. And in Exodus 33, the story is told of how he asked for that. But God replied that it would kill him since he has no mediator, no one to stand between them. So he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. We want not only to see the beauty of God, but to pass into it, to rejoice in it ourselves. But to know Christ is to get near to it and to have it within us. And the only way to look at the sun is to put a filter over it. God says to Moses, you cannot see me face to face. I'm too great and too wonderful, too beautiful, too strong. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. This is the same light that is described in John 1 at the beginning of the book. When we read in John 1 verses 4 and 5, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Indeed, without Christ, there is no hope, no life, no future, no beauty. This is a unilateral statement. I am the source of life and light. You can't find it anywhere else. If you are looking for it somewhere else, you will not find it. I am the light of the world. Not one of the lights of the world. Not might be a light of the world. But I am. If you want life, come to me. If you want truth, come to me. If you want joy and beauty, come to me. I am he who can give it to you. This is astonishing. The disciples didn't get to hear such things very often. Sometimes they saw it in his actions as when he fed the 5,000 or when he walked on the water. But here was an open declaration to the Pharisees and to all. I'm it. I'm willing, I've come to serve and not to be served, but I am he of whom it was promised. The light of the world will come. And then turning to 1 John, of course, John makes much of this image. Uh, one could uh, uh, look at uh, many, many places, but here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we would miss it, right after John chapter 8, we have the famous incident in John 9. The placement there may be strategic in 
contrast to what we've just been learning, where we come to this man who was born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Repeats himself, lest we miss it. So what is the application? Clearly he declares himself to be the ultimate source of truth, the ultimate source of life, the ultimate source of joy in, in, in life itself. When he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, he is asking us to reflect his glory. So the application there on page 11, we should live with consistency and integrity. He sees everything. He exposes everything. He knows everything. There's nothing to hide from him. The light penetrates all barriers. There's no dark place which his gaze cannot see. And so we, his people, are called to live as the light of the world who would reflect that light in all that we do and say. Which means, furthermore, to live attractively. You are the light of the world. How do you reflect his light? When people watch you take criticism, how do you treat people? When you have people under you who, who, have, who have to answer to you how, do you, how do you serve them? When you handle trouble, are they impressed with the way you handle trouble? Paul says we are to shine like stars. Acknowledging that there is darkness all around us, we are to shine like stars as his ambassadors. We live courageously. We expose wrong. We do the right thing. Be so bright that they would want to put the light out. You know, why are you always, why are you always calling me to account? Why are you always reminding me of my faults? Sometimes not in a, in a critical and negative way, but simply by our presence. Is that the effect you have on people? calling them to account, living courageously, exposing wrong, doing the right thing, so that others will want to put that light out, and also to live hopefully. The sun is not fully up yet. The day is coming when he will shine for every nation all across the world, how much better and brighter things will be. Turn to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved, says Isaiah. For I am God, and there is no other. I think Jonathan Edwards has captured this section as well as anyone. And so I gave an extended quotation here in closing. He says, there's scarcely anything that is excellent, beautiful, pleasant, or profitable but what is used in Scripture as an emblem of Christ. He is called a lion for his great power, victory, and glorious conquests. He's called a lamb for his great love and pity and compassion, for that merciful, compassionate, lamb-like disposition of his. 
He's called a bridegroom for the great joy and delight he brings to believers and rejoices over them as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. He is called the bread of life and the water of life for the spiritual refreshment and nourishment he gives to the soul. He is called the true vine because he communicates life to his members and yields that comfort to the soul that refreshes it as the fruit of the vine does the body. He is called a rose and a lily and other such similitudes because his transcendent beauty and fragrancy. He is called the bright and morning star and the son of righteousness and ultimately he's called the light of the world. Now we've made some application. But how does this vision of Christ help us? I would put it this way. There's nowhere else to turn. No one else has the truth. No one else can help us to see and have eternal life. No one else can guide us. No one else can give us real joy and make life beautiful. No one else. There's nowhere else to go. It's true that we have family and friends who give us a certain delight and comfort. Without question, we, we have some value from our work in this world and from various experiences that we have in serving others. But nothing is more beautiful than Christ. No one shines more brightly and consistently than Christ. The beauty of a loved one fades, and in time they may be taken. The glory of this world diminishes, but Christ shines ever brighter. He is the source of our joy. He is the one to whom we can have real allegiance and appreciation. He doesn't let us down. Day by day, the sunrise comes, the sunset comes. He can be counted on to be true, to lead us, and to help us. If you're like me, you tend to transfer your affections a bit to other things besides him. Listen to him when he says, only I can help you. Only I am the light. Only I am the truth. Only I am the one who can really give you eternal life. Let us pray. O light of the world, come and shine brightly in our hearts and in our minds so that your truth may be revealed more fully and your power displayed more gloriously. Help us to bask in the glory of your light and truth from your word. Help us to rejoice in your mighty power that you created all things of nothing, including light itself. And Lord Jesus, thank you for showing yourself to be the one and only true Savior to whom we can trust and from whom we may receive eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. We followed not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy face appears. Thy cross is lifted o'er us, 
we journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O God of might. Amen. We're so glad that you joined us for worship. Join us downstairs for a time of fellowship and snacks and coffee. And then, of course, at 11 o'clock, we have Christian education opportunities for all ages. Receive now the Lord's benediction. Jesus is the light of the world. May we walk in His light this week and forever. Amen. And go in peace. Thank you.